if you don't have, at your age, a good, solid knowledge of who you are and what your value is, the world system can beat you down and make you think you're not a worthwhile human being. And a lot of, and you know, you're shaking your head, you know I'm right, that a lot of people your age suffer from that, the, the world making them feel small. I want you to know God don't want you to feel that way. That's the subject of, of this class. This lesson 14, understanding our deepest needs, and this is really kind of part one because next, next week we'll get into the second part of it. Um, but today we're going to be talking more than anything else about this thing about significance. Next week we'll talk about security. Um, let me... Um, let me just read here for May. Would you do me a favor, hon? Let me get you to read a little bit for us. Um, I'll be going back over it, but if you'll take just those first two paragraphs, one short and then that longer paragraph, you read those two out loud for us, please. Yeah. <clears throat> this course, Firm Foundations, has not been a survey of the Old and New Testaments of the Bible. Rather, the whole purpose of this course has been to help the student find the biblical foundation for life, or, in other words, learn how this ancient book is relative to our life today. Back in Lesson 4, The Fall of Man, What We Lost, we briefly touched on the subject of understanding our deepest needs. This was logical considering that before the fall, man had no need. That is to say, he had no need he was aware of. Why? Because God was meeting all his needs. However, to say that man had no need because his needs were being met does not mean that he had no longings. God certainly has no need, for he is totally sufficient within himself. Yet God lets us know from his word and his character that he has deep longings. Let us make man in our image, he said. Why? As we study his word, we conclude that he had a deep longing for relationship. The fact that he made anything at all reveals that he had a longing to create to have impact on his environment to make a difference. Being made in his image meant that we were created to have these same longings. God obviously wanted us to long to have relationship with him. He made woman and caused man to long for relationship with her. And he created procreation so that we could have relationship with family and others. And when he told Adam to name the animals, he was yielding to the longing he had put in Adam to make a difference, to be creative, to have an impact on his environment. But when sin entered the picture, those longings became needs. Praise God. Thank you. And that's really the whole, the whole deal. Um, let's talk about these longings things for a moment. And uh, I was thinking about it on the way in here this morning. I don't know if you've noticed, but every, and I don't think it's just to this course, I think that every lesson that you take, that's biblical, you're going to find at the root of that lesson, God loves you. You ever notice that? And I can tell you that I didn't purposefully build that end of this course, but I realized that with every lesson that I teach from this course, as long as I've been doing it, I continually see how important it is to the lesson that we, that we acknowledge the fact that God's telling us he loves us. His love, his love for us just encompasses 
everything about us and everything about our life. Uh, God loves us. That's so important to who we are and what we do. I was thinking of this thing about longing for a relationship. <laughs> um, you girls will think I'm picking on you. I'm really not. Uh, but think about what it's like when a, when a young man first meets a young girl. That, oh, this is the one. Uh, what are some things that they can't wait for? They can't wait to be with them. I can't, well, I can't wait to talk to her on the phone. I can't just, I mean, it's just prevalent. They, they long to be in the presence of that person, right? Have you ever thought about God longing for us in that way? Uh, the, the question, I guess, is, is God's longing for us anything like that? What do you think? I think it is. It, it's probably somewhat different. It may be a little more mature. But let's look at some, some scripture. First of all, how about John 3.16? You know, just... Um, but for God so loved the world. Um, I'm going to go to 1 John. First John, if you don't know it, boy, that's First John is the love book, that's for sure. And I want to read First John chapter three, verse one. Now I'm reading from the New King James, which says, "Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us." that we should be called the children of God. I'll stop right there. And I want to point out for and I looked in my little library and I couldn't find which um, translation it is, but one of the, one of the translations uh, changes that word bestowed to lavished. And I think it's a good choice of words. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And it was just that that I wanted to point out in this scripture, that God just lavishes his love on us. It's a consistent thing. Turn with me back to Romans. We'll go to Romans chapter five for a minute. Romans chapter five, verse five. <clears throat> I like the way it starts, talks about the word hope. Now hope, does not disappoint. Uh, we'll talk more of it in the future and maybe even yet today uh, about how important it is to have hope. Ever, ever been around a person, known a person, seen a person, or been a person that felt you just had no hope? Hope's a vitally important thing. And hope, Paul, verse 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been, look at this, poured out into our hearts. <laughs> uh, so, so my question was, does God long to have a relationship like that with us? Yeah. I think, yeah, he does. He, 
He wants us, and I think that we, we need, really need to come to a point where we realize that God really, really longs to have a deep, personal relationship with us. Uh, going down to verses 8 and 9, that same chapter, Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. I don't know why I read nine there, but, but my point is, is do you see, do you begin to see the lavished love that God has on us and his deep, deep longings for relationship? One more, turn over to chapter eight. We've got to read verse 38 and 39. These are a couple of verses that I love. I just love them. <clears throat> chapter 8, verse 38. For I am persuaded, Paul speaking, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Oh, whoa, whoa, I don't know how that affects you, but it just, it just overwhelms me that, that the love of God is so complete and, and so vitally important to our life. He wants us to long for him, but then sin comes along. <laughs> Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God, but sin entered. And um, the thing with sin is that, that sin separates. And you can use that in a lot of different categories, but basically what it does is it separates us from the God who made us and intended us to have this relationship with him that would fulfill everything in us that prior to the fall we could say was a longing that God put there. God had a longing, truthfully, and all the scripture bear this out, God had a longing to be loved. That's why I say he didn't make robots. He didn't make us into robots. He made us into human beings with a choice. A choice of whether to not to love him. And loving him would include being obedient to him. Understanding that the obedience is not because he's a strict ruler, but because he loves us and wants the best for us. And so we turn to God to do what God wants us to do. And in the process, in the process, think about the state of the condition between of Adam and Eve before the sin. And that is that they had all of these, what I'll now call feelings, so fulfilled that they wouldn't have been aware of them. Would Adam and Eve have had even a reason to think that they might not be loved? The, the, the relationship there would have been so profound that that wouldn't have been a question. And what about this thing of significance? One of the very first things God did with Adam was to tell him, name the animals. 
And whatever you name them, that's what they'll be called. You reckon that made Adam feel rather important? Got his job to do. Felt adequate to do it. God didn't think he was adequate to do it. He wouldn't have told him to do it. So Adam would have been full of the feeling of purpose and adequacy. Had a purpose in his life and felt up to being able to do it. Sin caused a lot of problems. Um, I like that. Down, let me go down into the third paragraph and I'll read for a minute. Of all the things that had happened to Adam and Eve as a result of disobedience, the worst was this. They were separated from God. God's written revelation makes it insistently clear that any right thinking about the problems of people must begin by recognizing that man is not now in a normal condition. He has fallen from the norm. He has missed the mark. He is a sinner. The effect of sin is separation from God. The result of that separation is that we have no connection to the one that was intended to meet those needs. People have deep personal needs which must be met. All personal problems, catch this, all personal problems are really thinking or belief problems, wrong beliefs about how you can go about meeting those needs. Um, I want to I read something from you from one of my uh, Larry Crabb books, which was the textbooks for counseling. <clears throat> And he had made this statement about any right thinking or belief problem. Any, right, any problems that we human have are belief problems, wrong beliefs about how we should meet our needs. I'll read you a little thing here. He says, first a child learns to name things, like a chair, table, mommy. He learns words. Second, he becomes aware of a relationship between these parts of his world. In other words, when the parent chair is pushed up against the table, it stops. He learns about those kinds of relations, that things, one thing affects another. They learn that early on. <laughs> Here's one you're going to kick out of. Third, he looks for ways to become part of this world. To be the cause in the cause and effect sequence. Intentionality develops. He notices that mother consistently pays loud attention to him when he spills his milk. When he wants attention, he then learns to spill the milk with subtle deliberateness. All right. Intentionally does it. He is now having an impact on his world. He matters. Can you think about that? He causes an effect. He has the beginnings of significance. He can see that he makes a visible difference in his world. Now I want you to realize the importance of what was just said here. Children who never develop this third stage suffer psychological problems. We might really get mad at this kid that keeps knocking over his milk. 
But one of the things we need to realize here is that he's learning something vitally important. Yeah, I'm not saying you don't make him not do that anymore, but he's learning something here. He's learning that he can make a difference. He can get attention. He can cause people to start scattering around. He, all of a sudden, knows that he's here. Here I am. I'm significant. Here I am. That's what we're. That's why I said one well, again. But at your age, I, I look at young people and uh, love them, but I almost feel sorry for them. Honest to God, girls, while we look back and say that it was the best time of our life, if we're really honest, it's one of the hardest times in life. You're you're bumping up against these new relationships that all depend on how that person was raised, what kind of an environment was she raised in, where are her parents going or teaching her to go, what's important in their life, and all culminates as these people in this same age group come together and begin to bounce off of each other. It's a hard time. It's a hard time, isn't it, parents? It's a hard time. <clears throat> so then, talk about us for a moment. Should we go around knocking over our milk? No. But here begins a search we all have this same kind of a need that this little child we're talking about has, and that was that, that we have a need to be significant. We need to know that we can make a difference in our world. We all have this thing in us that wants to stand out and tell me if I'm wrong, to say, well, here I am. I'm right here. I'm taking this space. This is me. Here I am. See me. Hear me. Pay attention to me. I am a person. I'm here. Question. Is that vitally important? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And God wants us to know, and here's where we kind of come back into the love of God. He wants us to know that we are so important we're so important that he planned this whole thing out. He even knew that Adam and Eve would partake of the fruit that they weren't supposed to. He knew they would do that. But he gave them the choice anyway. He couldn't, he couldn't have the love that he wanted from us and have them to be choiceless, to be robots. They had to have free choice, and they chose wrong. But God, because he loves us, begins to step back in. And what's one of the words we use? We're going to get to it in a minute. The word reconcile. Yeah. It's a marvelous thing, yeah. not that people split up, but it's a marvelous thing when people that have split up work out their differences and they're reconciled, put back together, the relationship healed and put back together. And that's the way that it's supposed to be with us and God. When we come to a place where we've placed our faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ so that God working through that sacrifice 
is able to reconcile us to him, to put us back together in a relationship the way it was before the fall so that we can have this relationship now with God just the way Adam and Eve did. The world around us is tainted, but our relationship can be perfect. Let me move on because some of what I want to get into here is actually on the next page. Uh, and it said there that uh, we're not now in a normal condition. <clears throat> I, I, my question that I have written down here for you is, and I think I've pretty much well gone through it already, and that is, what does a normal condition look like? And, uh, and, and I think that the only way for us to get that picture is to picture ourselves in a relationship with God as if we were Adam or Eve before the fall. That's what normal would be. That's what normal is intended to be. That kind of a loving, secure relationship. Um, I want to just touch on this a little bit down in there on the last part of that page where it talks about significance and security. Um, and it says that we're not talking in this course about personal, I mean about physical needs such as food and water and shelter, but we're talking about the personal needs. Uh, we're a person, that's what I said a while ago, here I am. Unless these needs are met, we will die as a person. Guys, that's one of the things that we really, really need to be aware of in our world. Do you know that we're surrounded by people who in their heart or in their mind are basically dead as a person? What a horrible, horrible place that is to be, to feel like they have no value, to feel like they can't do anything, to feel like nobody loves them, nobody loves them to feel like they're totally insignificant, just dead. There, if, if, you, if you pay attention to people, you'll bump into people like that. They're so deeply hurt that they feel dead as a person. Now, our subject here is significance, and we're fixing to turn a page and get back into some other things that, where, where we want to be with this subject in, in our relationship with God. But can you see that one of the most important things you can do as a human being is to minister to someone who feels dead as a person? To kind of put your arm around them and say, hey, let's go to lunch together. Or, hey, you know, I understand what you're saying about the boss. He is kind of cranky, but, you know, you're okay. The word one another, this is off my subject on the way it's right on, and that is, is that uh, I did a series of lessons one time on one another. Do you know that the Apostle Paul, in his letters, uses the word one another? This is a compound word. 58 times, 58 times in the letters of Paul, you'll come across this word, one another. <laughs> Must be pretty important for Paul to use it that much. 
gonna let's let's turn the page, and we're gonna get over into another chapter in the Bible here in a minute uh, about what our what our job is supposed to be. Page two. Because he has rejected God's authority, quote, and God's plan, man no longer has a purpose in life that makes him feel worthwhile. In his effort to meet his need for significance, man tries all sorts of things. Now, I want to, I want to stop, I want to just reread it. I want everybody to kind of, kind of zero in on this, is that we have this need to feel significant because we've been sin has broken our relationship with God so we're not connected with God we're not talking now about a, a person that's not a born again believer but even as a new born again believer we have some education to learn that we're separated from, from the God who intended for us to have significance and in his opinion we are significant he has a plan for us and so, but we don't realize that as human beings. So we go about trying to find ways to meet our need for significance. What are we going to do? Knock over the milk again? <laughs> what do we do? Uh, and and if you look at this, this is what this is this is at the crux of what people do. They begin to go about making themselves feel significant. One time in my life, because I was once again trying not to drive a truck, which always brought the best paychecks but brought the most problems, I decided that maybe I should get into sales. I thought, I'm an outgoing person. I talk all the time. Can't shut me up. I'm going to be a salesman. Didn't work very good, I can tell you that. But what I found was is I found a culture not a Christian culture, and I'm not saying we don't need salespeople, but I am telling you that I ran into a culture that wanted you to promote yourself. They wanted you to get involved at the JCs or, or any, any such organization so that you had more exposure, and the idea is, wasn't that you were joining these civic organizations actually to do any good, they wanted you joining these civic organizations and so forth so that you promoted yourself, so that everybody know you. And, and to try to balance that with what we're learning from God's word is a difficult sort, but it isn't impossible. Think with me for a moment about a person, let's say they're in real estate. And they've done all these things because now they have a need if they're going to be a real estate salesman to promote themselves as the agent. And, um, and so they get in, in this culture of promoting self. But what if we had a person where when someone says, uh, uh, do, you, do you know that person? And they say, oh yeah, that's one of the sweetest ladies I've ever met. She's kind and gentle. I could do business with her. She's honest. He's the kind of man that'll help you out. You understand what I'm saying? 
What I'm saying is, is that it's not impossible to live in this world, but if we live as a Christian, then we can live as a... Why would a person that has that kind of reputation be promoted while they're doing what's taught to them to do, which is promoting himself in a way, in another way, that person's living out Christ. Morals and values. Huh? Morals, Morals and values, values and so forth. So, so, <laughs> I'm dodgepising. <laughs> but the point is, is that we live in a world where some of these things are necessary, but if we're getting our need met from significance and a relationship with God, if we get our need for significance met by doing God's will, then how important I am to the real estate world doesn't really make a difference to anything other than my paycheck. Because who I am is not there. Ever gone up to somebody and say, um, I don't know how I can put it, but basically you're saying, oh, hi, who are you? And they respond with what they do. Now, oh, I'm a truck driver. Really? I didn't ask you what you're doing for a living. Who are you? But most people relate who they are with their job. I can just tell you that's not God's way. Let's look at Solomon here a minute. <laughs> I'm not going to turn there, but boy, if you want to, if you want to get into some stuff, get into Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon and listen to this guy talk. Uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells how he accumulated wealth beyond measure. Using his great wealth, he devoted himself to many projects. He planted orchards and gardens. He built cities and an elaborate palace. He even built the most expensive, most magnificent building the world has ever seen, the temple of the Lord. Yet, with all his possessions and accomplishments, Solomon was not satisfied. His deep inner needs were not met. Solomon said, I looked on all of the works of my hands that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do, and behold, it was all vanity and vexation of the spirit. Therefore, I hated life, he says in Ecclesiastes 2 11 17. Uh, so, the point is, guys, is that going about, and I really want you young people to hear, but everybody, we need to know this that going about trying to establish your own significance, can I just say it's a mistake? It's a mistake for the Christian. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Get myself there. I want to start in verse 12. Chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all of the members of that body, being many, are one body. Really, can I put that the way it is? He's saying that's the way it is in Christ. 
Think about your body. You have arms and a head, eyes, nose, feet, ears, all different parts of your body. And that's what Paul's drawing your attention to here. Verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into the one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have even greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. Let me pause right there for a minute. He's saying that if there's a part of the body that we think might lack something, God bestows more on that body. I'm talking now about human beings in the body of Christ. We the people, the children of God, who make up this body of Christ. Is the, is the eye worth more than the ear? Of course not. Right. So we get the picture that Paul is trying to paint here, but, but then is the pastor worth more than Pete? They're all part of the body. And no part of this body of Christ is of any less value than the other. And then Paul says here, if there seems to be one that seems to have less value, basically he's saying, watch out. You may not be aware of how much God's using that one. And I think about people in our own midst. I think everybody knows who I'm talking about, and I want you to know before I mention the name here, I mean it with love, sincere love. Everybody knows, everybody know little Robin, not the not this Robin, but the little Robin mm -hmm. that dances at that mm -hmm. She has issues in life. That child isn't a child. That child's 50 years old. Guess what? 
Do you ever read the stuff that she puts on Facebook? I don't know if you ever see her on Facebook. Every day, every day, she puts some scripture on there. And she makes some type of comments about it. I'm not sure who she's touching, but I know this. Somebody is being touched by the things she does and it's making a difference in their life and God is using her. And she stands up here when nobody else they finally managed to get their hands up maybe or they clap a little bit. I used to think Robin was doing what she does for attention. I don't think that anymore. I've watched her do it now for what, five, six years? She's praising God. And whether you want to join her or not, she don't care. <laughs> She's praising God. She's worshiping. And my question is, is, if you're seeing it, are you observing? Because you see, while we might have a tendency to think that someone could, could I, can I compare her to Pastor Rob? Is Pastor Rob greater in the eyes of God than Robin? No, of course not. Of course not. And, and maybe in the next few minutes, maybe I'll just kind of sum up, but there's a lot that I wanted to get to here. But, but let's be sure we establish this. You and I don't need to be significant to the world. And we don't have to go around here trying to prove how important we are. God knows how important we are. We're part of the body. Every one of us. Say, Paul, don't leave anybody out. And he makes sure that we know that no one part of the body is any more important than the other because we, are, we need all our parts. Somehow or another, I twisted my ankle a little bit a few days ago. Why does that thing hurt? Well, maybe they just because if I wasn't paying attention to how important that thing is down there. <laughs> God lets me quit. Just let one part of your body get harmed and the whole body suffers. Is that not right? We are significant because God has placed us in his body and God has a work for us to do. We all have a job to do. We get into another area here where we talk about the gifts and the gifts of the Spirit. <clears throat> and uh, sometimes people have a hard time recognizing maybe what their gift is. But make no mistake about it, God hadn't left anybody out. Everybody has a gift. Might be just the gift of dancing in front of other people. But everybody has a gift. Everybody is significant. And you see, if Solomon would have known this, God, Solomon could have still done all that he did, but he could have done it to the glory of God. Amen. He was, but he was doing it to feed himself. He was doing it, boy, ain't I good. He was doing it to feed his own ego and in the end, he looks back and he says, I hate life. Why? Because it didn't work. 
He didn't accomplish what he thought he was going to accomplish. He thought he was going to make himself be this great man in his own eyes. And in the bottom, he was still just who he was. But he could have done it all to the glory of God. And if he had, what kind of feelings would he have had? Would he have felt significant? And what kind of impact would he have had? Exactly. See, so here's the important thing for us to know, guys. We had no need to feel significant when we were in a relationship with God before sin entered. And if we've been reconciled to God, then we don't really have a need to feel significant anymore either. We have a need to recognize that God says you are the most important thing I've ever... It's like the most important lesson in the book. You're the most important human being on this planet. You are. And you, and you, and you girls, and May, and you people. You're the most important people because God sees each one of us. Oh, yeah, he sees us as a whole, but he sees the individual, the person, the person that you are. Let me ask you another question. Are all, all of us different? Are you like her? We're all different. Of a different personality. Even identical. I grew up around two girls that were identical twins. They were so fun. They were about three years ahead of me in high school. So they were considered older girls to me. But they were absolutely identical. They were so identical that their parents would even get them mixed up and just look at But they were different. If you really knew them, there was a difference in their personality. We're all individual, personal beings. And God sees that person. And God, how much does God love that person? That's why I went over those scriptures so that we can see that, that God just lavishes his love on us. And as Paul said there in Romans, he, he pours it, get the picture, he pours his love into our heart. Like pouring it, how much more? Can we? Can he do to show us how much he loves us and how significant we are? Next week I'm going to talk about the other word, security. The two words are pretty well married, significance and security. But in closing, there's one thing I'd like for you to think about. We live in a world with human needs, people all around us, People that are seeking counsel or should seek counsel. People who could use somebody to give them right counsel. We live in a world that's fallen from a sense of significance and security. That's what's wrong with them, guys. That's what's wrong with them. They don't know how valuable they are. So they use drugs. Heck, I might as well, I'm not important to anybody anyway. Do you see that? That, that, these two words are so vitally important to human life that that's the whole of humanity worldwide goes about trying to meet their need to feel important and loved 
security and significance that, that motivates and moves everything they do. Everything. And they do, there's another word in there too, I won't get into it, don't have time to really, but believe. But it's such an important word. And see, it's like Solomon. He believed that if he could do all of these things, he'd feel good. John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, what? Believes. See? I'll do what I believe I can do. And I'll do in this area of trying to meet my need for significance or security, I'll do whatever it is that my crazy little mind has dreamed up or maybe been influenced by somebody else that I think will work. But, but what we believe is a big, big motivator. But the word believe then comes out of this thing of what we believe will work and nothing will work. Nothing will work but a right relationship with God and let me put in one more word. Doing. Doing. It's not just enough that we believe it. It is enough, yes, that's in many ways I stand corrected, certainly. Our salvation depends upon whether or not we believe what Jesus did. But if we're going to be full of significance and security, and we have some things to do. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, it's just your reasonable service. Be about being the hand or the foot or the ear that God made you to be and think about one another and whoever the one another is that God brings in your life. I came, I'll close with this. It's been two years ago, I guess. I was up here, wherever it is, not far away, uh, at Taco Bell. I come walking out of Taco Bell one day and there was a man standing there. And at first I thought it was a construction worker maybe waiting for somebody to come and pick him up. But he really looked sad and hurt and broken. It didn't take much more of a second look to realize that this guy didn't have any place to go. He was homeless. He wasn't begging. I walked up to him and I said, you okay? No, not really. But we talked for a minute and I found out that one of the things that's happened, he's trying to go home. He had been in Florida, been homeless in Florida for a while, but he had worked, he'd worked to get a few bucks together, but he had lived pretty much on the streets. His father had died in Connecticut He's trying to go home. He's trying to go home. Didn't have, in his mind anyway, any family, anybody that would help him. But he loved his father and he wanted to go home. I fed him and gave him some money. Hopefully it did good. All I'm saying is this realize that God wants to use you. I'm not saying you have to start being a sucker for everybody you see on the street. I don't mean that. But I do mean be sensitive to the people that God brings across your path. 
And I think this, I don't think anybody crosses your path. And I'm, I mean, like I might pass by on my, in my car and somebody's sitting on the corner with a sign, that, that might happen. I'm not saying that in context of God caused that person to cross my path. But when I came out of that door at Taco Bell and that man was there, it was just like God had planted him there. We need to be sensitive to things like that because let me tell you that there's where your significance lies. My husband's sister, one of his sisters, just tried to commit suicide for the second time in less than a year. And I just, I would appreciate prayer because she has always been like hostile towards God. And I've been, um, tech, she's long distance, she lives in Richmond, so I can't get with her close. but. I've been like texting her and just sending her scripture, and then I asked her. I finally said, "Is this annoying you? Because I don't want to. I don't want to bother you, you know." And I explained why I was sending it, and she just said, "No, please don't stop." So I'm like praying that Let's God pray. uses this because I don't. No one else in in their family is a believer, and I I, I just keep thinking, you know, the fact that. I have a, a small relationship with her. I just pray that God can use this because it would speak to the whole family and everything. She, she's been on every medication in the books and nothing nothing works. Wait, what, what's her name? She's hopeless. Uh, Heather. She Heather. feels hopeless. Yeah, okay. Heather. Right. I want to ask you a question to you pretty young girls. Are you, do you feel important? I pray to God that you do. And to you, and to you, and to you, and you, that you feel important because you are. 